thy music too. And the poet goes on to list the sounds of autumn, the bleating of full-grown lambs, the chirping of hedge crickets, not so many of them around now, I think, then the twittering of swallows as they gather before migrating south. I don't know what they did before telegraph, telephone wires. They obviously had to gather on, on roofs and trees and hedges. And then there's the finally, the cheerful song. Do you remember what bird Keith lists as the cheerful song at the very end of the poem? Our friendly Beverly will know. The robin. Yes, the cheerful song of the robin redbreast. He gets the last mention in that poem. And all through the autumn and winter, it's great. You may hear your sound of a friendly robin in your garden. They carry on singing from dawn to dusk, and even sometimes after dark. They're sometimes triggered by street lamps. But you'll hear a robin even when it's dark. So it's good to hear they carry on singing regardless. Now, I'd like to focus our thoughts on the passage from Proverbs 3, that Matt kindly read for us a moment ago. And if you wish to follow it in the Church Bibles, as, as Matt said, it's on page 637 of Proverbs, straight after the book of Psalms. For the overall title of my talk, I'd like to suggest the Lord will provide. Just four words, but they are significant. The Lord will provide. Those of you who are biblical scholars may know where they first appear in the Bible. In which book of the Bible do they first appear? Jehovah Jireh. Ah, people are too modest. They appear in the book of Genesis. Uh, do you remember when Abraham, rather surprisingly, was called upon by the Lord to sacrifice his only son Isaac? And at the very last minute, um, uh, Abraham spotted, when he was about to kill his son with a knife, he spotted a ram with its horns tangled up in some bushes. So Isaac's life was spared and the ram sacrificed. And in response, Abraham called that place the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh in Hebrew, because the Lord had provided the ram as a burnt offering at the vital moment. So the Lord will provide, it so happened, does anyone here use encounter with God notes at all? I, maybe I'm the only person, but as it so happened this morning, my reading was Psalm 65. And the heading above the notes was, the Lord will provide. And in fact, that's a great harvest, Psalm 65. I thought that was rather encouraging. And Harvest Festival at the beginning of autumn, this is a great time of year to pause, to look back and give thanks for the Lord's generous provision. As I look out of my study window, a productive apple tree still has a few tasty red apples on it. And as they fall, I need to gather them up before the magpies and blackbirds sweep down and swoop down. And they, instead of picking just one, they'll go to all the best ones, one after the other all full of pecks, as you probably find. And the hot, dry summer provided our farmers with excellent weather for harvesting as well, even though the yield may have been down a bit because of the dry weather. But at the same time, we're all too aware of those parts of the world where harvest festival will be very difficult to celebrate. We think of Pakistan with lots of farmland covered with devastating floods. There's war-torn Ukraine with the grain harvest disrupted and, of course, parts of drought-stricken East Africa. And next Sunday, in fact, we'll be calling it Climate Sunday, and our focus will be on our response to the effects of, of climate change. But returning now to the positive message from our two readings this morning, the first reading from the letter of James reminds us, in rather good poetic language, that every good and perfect gift is from above, 
coming down from the Father of the heavenly light, who does not change like shifting shadows. And in the words of that favourite harvest hymn, all good gifts around us are sent from heaven above, then thank the Lord, oh thank the Lord for all his love. And moving on to the passage from Proverbs chapter 3, we find further encouragement in the shape of three reassuring promises. Firstly, there's a promise of the Lord's guidance, then a promise of his protection, and thirdly, a promise for his provision. And that great evangelist, Billy Graham, used to say that he aimed to read the book of Proverbs about once a month, because it contains so much wise advice. And quoting from our Proverbs reading, the first two verses, five and six, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight or direct your paths. They are a favorite uh, passage from many people and they encourage us that as we trust the Lord wholeheartedly, he promises to guide and direct us along the right path. It may not always be immediately apparent what it is, but he will in his good time guide us. And the second promise we read in the next two verses, don't be wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord and shun evil, this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. And as we continue to trust the Lord and seek to avoid harmful influences, he promises here special protection in the form of health and nourishment. Unless we feel tempted to equate this with some uh, magic transformative uh, medical product, I suggest the writer here is talking about protection and healing in the widest sense, including inner peace of mind, because healing may not always come exactly as we expected. And of course, Christians are subject to illness and accident, just like the wider population. But it's a great promise of his healing powers. And thirdly, we come to the promise which is most relevant to today's harvest theme, the Lord's promise of abundant provision. And I'll just read those verses again. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine and special blackberry juice as well, in Steve's, in Steve's case. But there we are. But that is a great promise, that, isn't it? Of encouragement. And it, it almost sounds too, be, too good to be true. Because not many of us here are farmers or winemakers, but some are. But it seems to me that we have a clear portrayal of what we might call divine economics. Divine economics, which often seem to run counter to human economics and our natural instincts. And economics are rather too much in the news at present, as we're aware. But in, in God's kingdom, we're told that the more we give, the more we gain. It doesn't seem logical, but that's his economics. In the world's eyes, we're encouraged to get, get, get. But in God's eyes, we're encouraged to give, give, give. And as Tasha pointed out last week, we should not think of giving just in financial terms. It can often mean offering our time, our talents, maybe a prayerful listening ear, or a timely visit to someone in need. And of course, we have those sort of volunteer boards at the back that Val mentioned, which are all sorts of ways of contributing. And if we turn this on its head, we gain a clear perspective, in reverse really, from Jesus' brilliant, hard-hitting parable, uh, often called the parable of the rich fool, which is only recorded in Luke's Gospel, 
in chapter 12. And Jesus here introduces the parable by declaring a person's life does not consist in the abundance of their possessions. No doubt most of you are familiar with the story that Jesus tells to illustrate this truth. A rich farmer finds he has an abundant harvest one summer, but his current storage facilities aren't large enough to house all the grain. So he decides to build much larger grain stores. And then his plan is to sit back and relax and celebrate happily his long retirement. Unfortunately, God has other plans. You fool, God says to him, and fool is always a strong word in Bible language. You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? And then Jesus adds as a telling footnote, that is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for themselves but is not rich towards God. So the short-sighted farmer's mistake was to entirely leave God out of his planning and calculations. The little word I appears at least six times in this short parable. The farmer says, this is what I'll do, I'll say to myself, and so on. And you may know that apocryphal story of the wealthy banker who, who died, and at his funeral, he had that rousing Welsh hymn, Guide me, O thou great Jehovah. But unfortunately, in the final verse, there was a misprint. And instead of it saying, land me safe on Canaan's side, it had land my safe on Canaan's side, <laughs> which of course, theologically, could be rather difficult. But it made the point, really, there. But uh, Probably not true, but it makes a good story anyway. But if... If we compare all this to the promise in our Proverbs passage, we're clearly reminded that if we put God first in the way we regard our possessions, we will, we will be rewarded abundantly in all manner of ways. However, we should also be aware that many in our community are not facing this winter with any great optimism, with ever-increasing energy and other bills, and the Lord may well be calling us to play our part in easing some of, of those burdens. And to that end, it's good that our collection today, as well as our, our splendid offerings here, will be divided between two excellent organisations, the New Forest Basics Bank and Christians Against Poverty, a great charity as well. So let me conclude with two quotations that remind us that we follow a Lord who will indeed provide for our deepest needs in this world and the next. First from the Old Testament is David's final prayer as he hands over responsibility for building the magnificent temple in Jerusalem to his son Solomon. And this is part of his prayer, which may be familiar, but it's a great words. O oh Lord, everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. O oh Lord, everything we have has come from you, and we give you only what you first gave us. Then moving on to the 20th century, poignant prophetic words from the lips of Jim Elliot. He died a martyr's death in 1956, along with several other missionaries. They were seeking to bring the gospel to the Alca Indians in Ecuador. Later, they had great impact with them, but at that time, several of them died in taking the gospel. But some years before he died, Jim Elliot uh, uh, wrote these prophetic words. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. 
Just say that again. They're great words, aren't they? He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Amen. Thank you.